Yeah, I, I don't have pages on my uh, book, but the paragraph starts from the title is Practicing Buddha's Precepts. Okay, let's go back. This is the paragraph before that, and I think it's really critical. And I was just reading ahead a little bit, and uh, <coughs> this is a very different view of precepts than, or a different, a little bit different than I've been um, thinking about. So. Who'd like to start? Let's just read the last paragraph and then go to the next chapter. And then Gail will be all caught up. <clears throat> so we're in this order, alphabetical. What order is that? Here we go. Daniel, Emily, D. Gail, Kim, Malin. Um, finally, Koigo says, that is precept, which my teacher has never taught, nor ever the Buddha taught. Your understanding of precept is not a matter of intellectual teaching. It is a matter of direct experience. The universe is going in a sadness system and rhythm. It's not random. When that rhythm is alive in human life, it is called the precepts. All you have to do is stand up there and make it alive as your own life. How? Adjust and come to a stop in the truth where you, your life and your emotions are already Buddha. So what I'm getting from this is rather than it's something you do, it's something that you are. Does that make sense? It's something completely within you. And, and uh, it's different than following a commandment. That's uh, something you do. What I get from it is... Um when you realize what you truly are, it's a natural arising of. So kind of, that's kind of going the other, the other side of it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's you, like you, if you, you follow the precepts and it's a wonderful thing to try to do it. But I think when you awake to what you really are, it's a kind of a natural way that um, what we are actually flows in the world. So if you're a good person filled with love, then your act, your action would be that. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, more wise, you know, perhaps, and uh, more compassionate and more loving, I think. And uh, we all have, it. We, we are that. It just is things get in the way of it, right? <laughs> okay, Emily. Receiving the precepts. Zen master Yakusan Aigen Yaoshan Weian, 745-828, was asked by a monk, Master, do you, you know the Bodhidharma went to China to teach the Buddha Dharma? I wonder, was Dharma there before he went to China to teach the Dharma? Yakusan said, yes, there was Dharma before Bodhidharma went to China. Then the monk said, asked, 
Why did he have to go to China to teach the Buddha Dharma if it was already there? Yakusan answered, he went there because of its presence. In Bodhidharma's time, Buddhism was only understood intellectually in China. So Bodhidharma went there to make Buddha's teaching alive in the human world of China through its presence in his own life. This is called receiving the precepts. If you were already Buddha, why do you have to receive Buddha's precepts? You could ask, why do you, why do we climb mountains? Before you climb a mountain, is the mountain there? Yes, it is. So why do you climb it? <coughs> Finally, you say, I climb because the mountain is there. Or, category, why do you practice Zazen? Such a stupid way. Well, I don't know why exactly. I just practice because that stupid way is already here. This is my responsibility. I have to make Zen practice alive in my own life. So I just climb the mountain. Otherwise, practice is always something separate from me. Finally, the mountain and I communicate and there is a big world there. That's why I try to climb Buddha's mountain. So if we are already Buddha, why do you have to receive Buddha's precepts? Because we are Buddha. To receive means to transmit, and to transmit means to make something. When you receive Buddha's precepts, your body is made by Buddha, and you become Buddha. In other words, your human life becomes Buddha's life. Your life is Buddha, and Buddha occupies every inch of your life. At that time, you become Buddha. Is it possible? What's the answer? Milan, is it possible? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if you have to keep practicing in order to, to be that, I, I don't know. Well, I think one thing is, is uh, it's not like you become and then it's done, but that's why the Dalai Lama meditates four hours a day or something. You know, it's, it's a continual process of doing, isn't it, don't you think, of doing it? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's like, I, you know, you can call yourself an artist, but an artist is someone who makes art. And if you're not making art on a given moment, then you're not an artist, right? You're, you were an artist. Right. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, I don't know, we need to go there. Okay, let's go on. Could I, could I just comment? Um, yes. You know, I think, that, I don't know for sure, but I, from what I get about the Dalai Lama is probably he's up meditating because he's attracted to the silence, not because he's trying to get somewhere or keep somewhere or, you know, um, have some certain 
thing come out of it. I, I think that, um, you know, sometimes you're just drawn to it. That's kind of like category there. Why do you? Okay, well, I, I kind of buy the first part of your sentence. Yeah. That he's yeah. not doing it to get somewhere. No. But then, then I don't know about the second part because he's drawn to the silence. And I'm thinking of someone I knew who was addicted to meditation. Uh, and that's not it either. No, but, you know, I, I would imagine it's sort of a natural thing that's happening with him as opposed to um, something he makes himself do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's sort of a, you know, sometimes, was, was sometimes you just want to sit. <laughs> someone was explaining to me that that being still is not a natural state of the universe, but movement is. Mm. You know, we, we tend to think that that being still, but we're never, nothing is ever still. And yeah. I think in that sense, oh, maybe that's not a good analogy, not thinking too well tonight, but, but. Um, yeah, I, I think the world of form is not still at all. But yeah. I think that what underlying, what underlies it is still. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, it's 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 the base from which everything arises and changes and comes into being. You know, it's so when we think of it as blank, I think that's wrong. Um, it's potentiality, I think, in many ways. Uh, so you're kind of right that it isn't totally still, but there's something very um, restful about it. Barrett, what word did you use? Did you use the word graceful? Uh, no, restful. Oh, restful. I like yeah. graceful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you ask if it's possible, your Zen teacher will scold you and say you are a coward because <laughs> you are ignoring the fact that you are already great, mature fruit. So before you ask, you have to stand up straight, keep yourself in check and come to a stop in this truth of the great mature life that everyone has. Day by day, all you have to do is push the button of maturity, like turning on a television and seeing the whole world come into one screen. Constantly pushing a button is really boring for us. It seems ridiculous. But we have to do this simple practice, stand up right there and practice wholeheartedly. This is our responsibility. That is to observe the precepts. Practicing Buddha's precepts. The precepts are very important for Buddhist practitioners, but most people are confused by the precepts. That's a problem because if you misuse the precepts, you will always be frightened or feel guilty. Even if you obey the precepts completely, still you are afraid. It's just like running a business. If you are successful in your business, you feel happy. But in the bottom of your life, there is uneasiness because you are afraid of failing. So you make more and more effort until finally you're exhausted. How can you use the precepts and keep your energy in balance? Being in balance doesn't mean just having a comfortable way of life. 
it means knowing that sometimes you use your energy strongly with full concentrated effort. And sometimes you use your energy in a more, a little more relaxed way. I don't know how to explain this. It's not something that someone teaches you. It's something you learn through your own practice. If you want to practice Buddha's precepts first, contemplate what it means to say that all beings in the human world are Buddha. Then base your practice on the truth that Buddha's world and the human world are not different. A tree is a being, so is blooming in the Buddha's world. The same applies to pebbles, insects, and all descending beings. This is our basic attitude toward the human world and human beings. Enlightenment, delusion, hell, or hungry ghost. Uh, whoever they are, all beings in the human world must be seen and accepted as Buddha. Then you can practice the precepts a little bit in your everyday life. So see and accept everything as Buddha first. Then you can stand up in this truth and practice right in the middle of thoughts coming up, delusions coming up, or enlightenment coming up because they are nothing but activity in the Buddha's world. Phil, I think we should recognize how difficult it is to obey even one precept. How much can we practice Buddha's teaching day to day? Standing up in uh, Buddha's world is not so simple. Even if we understand intellectually, we don't understand emotionally. Often we are at a loss over how to deal with the concrete human aspect of human life. For example, everyone knows how much anger hurts people. So we should stay calm and not be angry. But when we face anger, we are completely at a loss over what to do. Finally, we fight. That is why again and again, forever, We have to listen to the truth and think deeply how to keep the precepts in everyday life. Constantly explore the meaning of the precepts through your practice. If you continue to practice, finally you can see the realm of real reality, where life is going like a flow of a stream and all beings are walking together, hand in hand, in peace and harmony. You feel your own human warmth and compassion, and you can deal with everyday life kindly, softly, gently. Yes, it is possible. This is the best stuff I've ever read about the precepts. And, and um, I see what he means that even if you, like yesterday, did all the precepts perfectly, you'd still have this anxiety seeing it in a, in a normal sense that you might not do it tomorrow, you know, and, and the way he's talking about it is so much more affirming. 
And nice. So at Appamata, uh, there's a precept course that's a year long and you do one precept a month and you meet once a month and it will start again sometime in the fall. There's no date that I've heard of, but I hope you guys do it. Gail's done it. It's a wonderful class. I did it three times. <laughs> I think I have too. Cool. I couldn't finish. It takes so long and then I go back and redo it. But um, um, you come to see that there's no perfection. What it is, is just sort of a, um, hmm. it kind of sits in, 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 in your, um, deep in your consciousness and you find yourself more and more noticing all the ways you're not in the precepts and then more and more naturally um, falling in line with the precepts. Well, that, 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 I, as you start talking, I was thinking it's a mirror and then you described that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it's really, um, it, it's really beautiful. You can see it's almost. And they're all recorded and on, uh, yeah. on both YouTube and, um, and SoundCloud. Yeah. And if it, I find with myself, if I'm not following a precept, let's say I'm not being totally honest uh, in my communication with people really, or um, I don't know, whatever, authentic, I guess you could say, um, it doesn't feel good. So the reason these precepts are in place is because this is like he says, is this is a natural way that our true Buddha nature operates in the world and when we go against it it just doesn't feel good <laughs> you know <laughs> but um you know egoically um you know you there's no perfection in it <laughs> yeah well as you start talking the the uh the thought came to mind i'm getting i'm getting you know t uh, an f like 10 percent okay <laughs> So Larry entered the waiting room. We'll see uh, Larry. For example, everyone knows how much anger hurts people. So we should stay calm and not be angry. But when we face anger, we are completely at a loss over what to do. Finally, we fight. That is why again and again, forever, we have to listen to the truth and think deeply how to keep the precepts in everyday life. Constantly, Explore the meaning of the precepts through your practice. That's like at the beginning of Zoom, people were joining on disturbing meetups. But but in a sense, um, we need to go on. <laughs> um, such a strange... Trouty warned me about this, not about the Zoom bomber, but about the idea of really fixing to a view. Mm. And we had to hold this lightly. And I always remember someone was making a decision. She was a really practiced Buddhist. And she said, you just have to hold it lightly. So we're taking all this stuff. And I was talking to Trouty about something I had been reading to, uh, earlier tonight. And she said, you know, she, she kind of criticized me for having a fixed view. So I think that's what we have. You know, it's category and he's a great man and everything. And we have to take all this stuff Hold it lightly. Yeah. Or we get attached. Okay. Go on. Emily, did you start to say something? Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Who's reading? I think it's Malin. Yeah. If you continue to practice, finally you can see the realm. 
Am I reading the right paragraph? Yes. That's yes. Right. yes. Okay, thank you. If you continue to practice, finally, you can see the realm of real reality, which life is going like the flow of a stream and all beings are walking together, hand in hand in peace and harmony. You feel your own human warmth and compassion and you can deal with everyday life kindly, softly and gently. Yes, it is possible. So when you're already jumped in and join that flow of life as Buddha, you will find a very simple life where you can make an art of the flow of life. That's why when we ask if you will observe the precepts, you have to say, yes, I will do. You have to say this constantly. I will do, I will do, I will do. How long does it take? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh, human weakness and the Bodhisattva vow. Japan has a really beautiful train transportation, just like airplanes in the United States. But sometimes the trains are jammed with people. One time I took a train from Kyushu to Tokyo. I was riding in an area of the train where they allow people who don't have a reservation to stand up in the aisle. I noticed there was a vacant seat, but even though no one was sitting there, I couldn't sit down because it was reserved. Then the conductor told us, if you want to sit in that vacant seat, please pay this amount of money, but I cannot give you any guarantee because the person who reserved this seat might arrive. So no one paid the money. Fortunately, I had a train pass for foreigners. For one week, I could go any place for free. And a reserved seat is also free. So I showed this pass to the conductor and he said, please sit down. At the same time, I saw an old woman who was standing up, but I didn't give her my seat. I didn't give my seat to her. I just <coughs> quietly sat down. Then I thought, who am I? Do I always lead a bodhisattva life? Can I always share my life with all sentient beings and know how to live in peace and harmony? I can't do it right now. I always try to protect my life. I don't want to share. According to the Buddhist precepts, we shouldn't hurt others. We shouldn't push anyone away. We should always accept others and live together in peace and harmony. But at the same time, I realized how egoistic I am and how much I hurt others, how much I push people away from me, from me in order to keep my life peaceful. Then very naturally, I have to repent Buddha, please help me. Please help me go in the right direction. Well, I don't know how much I should pray to Buddha for help. I don't know how much Buddha can help me because there's no guarantee that I can be free from egoism. But all I have to do is just repent. That's it. 
Repenting is a unique opportunity to open myself and move toward the Buddha way. Um, usually we think of repentance as making an apology to a person or divinity for our mistakes. Making a mistake makes us uncomfortable. So we want to throw away our mistakes and get something else. Repentance in Buddhism is not like that. Instead of throwing our mistakes away, we face our mistakes and use our karmic life to move in the bodhisattva direction. This is hard because the more you look at your life, the more you become aware of your human weakness and the more you see your life preventing you from reaching Buddha's way. The more you try to move toward a great image of human life, the more you find it difficult to keep your life straight. The closer you come to the Bodhisattva way of life, the more you encounter obstacles and difficulties created inwardly or outwardly by your life, by others' lives, and by circumstances. You see how, egotist how egoistic human beings are, how we hurt ourselves and others. You know, I just want to comment. Um, I discovered that it wasn't that after I started um, trying to follow precepts, you know, that things got worse. It's just that I hadn't really realized how bad they really were. <laughs> so it was sort, it's sort of like bringing that consciousness to the fact like, oh, I kind of fudged the truth. Oh, I'm a little selfish. Oh, you know, I... I'm not always kind. Um, it was always kind of the case now and then, but you just I just developed more of an awareness about it and um, but not in a judgmental um, shamed way, just sort of like, oh, you know, I'm no different than anybody else, you know <laughs> I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said the last thing. I think that's really important. Yeah, you know that that the first thought is, you know, forgive me, Christ, for I am a sinner. And and then the next thought is, how are we with with that idea that that we're not perfect? Yeah, and I don't believe we're sinners. I believe we're innocent. I just think that it's part of uh, the human experience. You know, from the time we enter into a body, you know, all the ways we learn to separate and protect ourselves. So. You know, to me, that feels like the same as everybody, you know. Well, I'm thinking about when you, you know, I'm thinking about trees. Mm. And trees are just different from each other. There's not like good trees and bad trees. Yeah. Okay, who's reading now? I think it's you. I think. Jeez, every time I ask, it's me. <laughs> Finally, you discover the great moan of pain in the deepest level of human life, a great moan of disconsolate pain. Well, we came across that word last week, didn't we? Yeah. You, 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 irritation and uneasiness in the bottom of your life. But then from that pain appears a sense of prayer or vow. I am weak, but I will try again to proceed in the Bodhisattva direction. The practice of aiming at that target is called repentance. 
Repentance is a way to accept your ordinary life and then use that life to go beyond it. <coughs> and I think that re that uh, relates to reface our mistakes. In Buddhism, there are three kinds of repentance. Repentance in the thusness uh, and the thusness is the way things are. Okay, thank you. Undefiled repentance and repentance in the presence of Buddha. Thusness is the original state of unity between you and the universe. So repentance in thusness means that your body and mind stand up straight in the whole universe. How can you do this? Use your human consciousness. Even though the egoistic human consciousness always creates a sense of separation between you and the universe, through using, throughout using your consciousness, you can make a determination to act. But when you act, don't act blindly. Be watchful and alert, truthful and sincere. Use your thinking, then let go of it. Stand up in the realm of the whole universe and look around there. This is our practice. We practice letting go of egoistic understanding, opening ourselves and then accepting and digesting our whole life. Depending in this way makes your life alive. Like the flow of pure water coming up from the deep ground without stopping. Second is undefiled repentance. If you repent just to satisfy your desire to escape from mistakes, your repentance is defiled because your purpose is to satisfy your own desire. Don't confine your life by the smallness of your own desire. Using your human consciousness, put aside your small desire and open yourself. Opening yourself allows you to come back to the original state of total unity. How? Take care of your ordinary actions as refined action. And then you can jump into undefiled action where any idea of acting is melted away. That is called total action. This undefiled activity is the functioning of a deep understanding of human life from which repentance originates. Third is repentance in the presence of Buddha. For this, first you must accept the great moan of human pain in the bottom of human life. You are important. So you must be a person who can accept that great moan, believe it, and stand up straightly there. At that time, you are ready to accept the whole universe. That is repentance in great karuna, sadness. If you understand the deep moan in the depth of human life, that moan turns into compassion. In English, compassion is one word, but in Japanese, it consists of two characters, 
G and he, or is it J, Jai and Hai? I don't know. Anyone know? I don't. Jai is the desire to give um, happiness to all beings. High is, ha is sadness. With the mind of compassion, you understand that everyone has pain <coughs> in the bottom of their lives. So very naturally, you are considerate to all beings and give deep sympathy to everyone. You can express compassion not only to human beings, but also to trees, birds, and all sentient beings. If you are a person who practices repentance like this, your repentance is Buddha's compassion. Practicing repentance is exactly the same as taking refuge. So just bow and say, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. At that time, your refined human action is repentance in the presence of Buddha. Your, your action puts your right in the middle of the universal flow of energy. You are pure, refined, and free, alive. This is the true meaning of repentance. By doing this, you can use the universal life force to build up your own life and benefit others' lives, other lives. This is a bodhisattva vow. The more you try to move in the right direction, the more you discover lots of difficulties. The more you try to reach Buddha's way, the more you hear the deep crying at the bottom of your life. But no matter how many storms you encounter, just adjust your boat and continue to go in the right direction. Again and again, you have to stand up in the realm of the whole universe and adjust the movement of your boat. That is really difficult. You cannot do it only by your own effort. You need lots of help. So pray to Buddha, please help me stand up and move in, the, that, and move in that direction. Then take one step in the Bodhisattva direction. That's all you have to do. Um, you can explain only 70%. One time I accompanied Eko Hashimoto Roshi on a trip from Ehiji Monastery to Nagoya, where he was to teach on the Shobogenzo. My job as his attendant was to follow him wherever he went and buy train tickets if he needed them. So on this day, he gave me his purse and told me to buy a ticket. But when I opened the purse, I realized there was not enough money. So I told him there was not enough. Hashimoto immediately replied, if I had enough money, I would not ask you to buy a ticket. <laughs> it's very difficult to understand this. Hashimoto did not explain 100% of what I should do. He explained 70% by giving me his purse. 
the other 30%, I had to understand by myself. When your intellect goes to work, it tells you that it is impossible to buy the ticket. So to understand this situation, you have to be stupid, not smart. Stupidity lies in living your life just like a leaping fish. If you don't have the money, do something else. Life requires you to act right now, right here. Zen teaching is very unreasonable and contrary to your common sense. I don't know how often you will have to have tears on your face, but it will be many, many times because in Zen, one plus one is sometimes two, <coughs> sometimes it is one, and sometimes it is 2,000. It's very illogical. But the important point is to become one with a situation, like the situation given to me by Hashimoto Roshi. In order to know what to do, I had to fit in there. When we have to fit into situations and become exactly one with them, without desiring to achieve satisfaction. We have to fit into situations and become exactly one with them without desiring to achieve, achieve situ, satisf, uh, satisfaction, I'm sorry. That is called oneness. Oneness means going beyond any idea of what it is reasonable or unreasonable. You have to become Buddha. Then you can do something so when Hashimoto gave me his purse as his attendant, all I had to do was become Buddha, receive the purse and buy a ticket. In other words, use my own money to make enough for his ticket. I have a question about that. Yeah. Um, I, is Zen really uh, can be called illogical? I understand that it's a, it shows the world in a different way, but I was always seeing Zen as logical uh, concept, like Zen talking about logical concept actually, that I can even confirm any of those things that we learn about in science. Uh, so I see, Zen actually more as a logical concept than you know the, the other like religions that are very unlogical. So it's a bit striking for me that he's claiming Zen is illogical. Well, I think he's taking a common Western view of logic. For example, uh, one plus one is always two. You know, most people would say that's logical and to say one plus one is sometimes 2000 isn't, but I'm with you. Well, the way I see it here is uh, the next sentence there. The important point is to become one with a situation. And I think intellectually, we want to have logical ways of getting out ahead of whatever situation might come up and what really makes sense, but actually, we can't do that because life is always moving and each situation is slightly different, you know? So you have to be one with the moment. And I think that's what he was pointing to here, you know? Um, 
I don't know that buying the ticket would have been, you know, something that I would have logically wanted to do, you know, <laughs> you know, but I think what he was pointing to was, you know, you just making an assumption, well, he can't go because he doesn't have enough money. When, um, you know, um, an equally responsive thing would have been uh, just like, well, you don't seem to have a mo enough money, but I'll, I'll give you the rest of the money. Do you know, but you can't even guess to me how you're going to be in any situation. It's, it's totally dependent on what seems to be the natural thing. And I think that's where they're saying it's illogical. Do you know? Um, like I've had two experiences of um, being in an argument and one of them, the movement was for me to hug. And in the same, very same sort of argument, a week later, the movement was to set up a boundary. And I don't, I can't tell you, you know, what happened only that the, there just seemed to be a natural movement to that. So that's what I'm hearing here in an odd way. Uh, going beyond any idea of what is reasonable or unreasonable. It's just like being completely present in the moment and allowing this, whatever this wisdom is that we already have, you know, to come up and move. And also yeah. what's needed. Yeah. Yeah. What seems, to, what seems to be needed and it could be the exact situation, but slightly different. You know what I mean? That, um, I think the teacher was kind of testing category too. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, so you have a purse, you have money. What's needed is to buy a ticket. So there's not enough money, so you supplement it. And that's just like the story that we talked about, I think, last week of, of um, Hakeen, who was presented with this baby, and the girl next door said that you were the father. And so what was needed was the baby needed to be taken care of. Yeah, it's, it's just being entirely present you know, and then uh, just seeing what seems to uh, come up. It's not what's, what's right. You know what I mean? Yeah, not what, not what uh, you could project in a story, what would be the right thing, you know? I mean, some people would say in the, with the ticket, you know, not having enough money, they would start arguing mm -hmm. with, the, with, the, the, with Hashimoto and say, well, you didn't give me enough money. How can I buy you a ticket? Do you expect yeah. me to buy my own, use my own money? That would be crazy. Why didn't you yeah. just ask me if I had some money to supplement your money? I mean, you could go on and on and on. Well, but the thing is, the thing is that we, you know, this one situation could have gone a dozen different ways. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's that there was one right answer to the situation. I think that there's just a natural movement. Maybe one day you would automatically say, oh, I'm not even gonna ask, I'll, I'll supplement the money. And the next day, Maybe because of something slightly different in the situation, you might say, I, I don't, I don't have the money. We can't buy the ticket. You know, it's. You so know. there's a, a story in the hidden lamp. I think Gail might have, you've read the hidden lamp, haven't you? The cons by contemporary women and, or some are older women, but th there was um, a situation where a student kind of a, a head student was in the Zendo and they were doing Kinhan and someone started to fall over. And so she reached and she caught this person. And then her teacher criticized her severely. 
and on the basis that some people need to fall over sometimes. And then another time she caught the person and it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so really feeling um, like Gail, you just talked about, you had talked about before about the hugging thing, but I don't know about the boundary thing, whether you had mentioned that before, but sometimes you would do one action and sometimes another. Right. In, in a very similar situation. That's the whole point, you know. Um, that's why he's saying the important point is to become one with a situation. You know, like the situation given to me by Hashimoto Roshi. And that's sound, to... sounding, uh, you know, what Daniel is talking about as being logical. So I'm uh, really with you. I'm really with you, Daniel. Yeah, but it isn't because logic has to do with your um, mind, you know, um, figuring something out, you know, and, you know, just saying, okay, this is the way it should be. And if it's logical in one situation, should be logical in the other situation. But that isn't what life is like. Well, yeah. there's different degrees. Maybe Daniel would disagree with you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So Larry is a Buddha. The guy who, the guy who was just here. Yes. Um, and that's kind of logical, but that's kind of illogical. <laughs> Can you say a little more? Here? Well, like, so his behavior was not in keeping necessarily with the precepts, but he is part of life. He is part of this world. And there is a Buddha within him. And he could be our teacher. Yeah. I was trying to give him that opportunity. <laughs> well, you know, but here's the thing, what you did, Kim, um, is that, uh, you know, for a minute, you know, you, you suss out the situation, you get a feeling and intuition about it. You try to direct him to come back, but that wasn't going that way. So it went the other way. And then it becomes apparent that it needs to, <laughs> he needed not to be part of the group at that particular moment. And so then you do something else. But if you, somebody was to try to tell you at the beginning, what, what that sequence of events could have been, you couldn't have really guessed how it would go. You know, it was yeah. all in the moment, you know. <laughs> uh, Mel Melen would like to say something. Yeah. Or at least show us her hand. <laughs> I was, uh, when, when Daniel, uh, when you said uh, your opinion or comment, I was rereading the paragraph. So can you say it again, please, your comment about the logic? Oh, um, yeah, I was just trying to understand the, what the author is, what, do, what, what does he mean about? Well, he, he said Zen is very illogical. Category says that. Yeah. And Daniel was having problems with that. Because I see Zen as pretty logical mm. teaching. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, but I, it's, I, I think during the reading of the book we, we came across many times um uh, we came across many words that uh the author is using in a different way that we understand them and, and he even claimed a few times that uh, that he doesn't know what that may mean to christian or to westerners 
but he's using it the way he understands meaning of, of the specific word. Um, well, it's tricky business. It always drives my wife crazy because we use these words like like he talks about repentance and repentance has very different meaning to different people in different religions. And logic has different meanings to people in the sciences than to the common person. Oh, it's eight o'clock. Oh, okay. Uh, how much more in this chapter? Very little, just a Let, few. Let's finish this chapter. Okay. I love this book, but the next book is really fun. Did I tell you guys that? Mm-hmm. Uh -oh. it's, it's a book by John Tarrant Gale, who, uh, who wrote Bring Me the Rhinoceros. Which you can't see, uh, but anyway, he's a really, really fun author. So, uh, and Lori, Lori even promised to come back. Oh, is is okay. there like a week? Is there like a week between the two books so the you know the reading settles or something? Oh, quickly, quickly! You must. Well, there's <laughs> always a week between every, every time we read. <laughs> we've never taken a break of a week unless there's some real we, we could discuss that if you need an extra week you know kim don't sometimes at the end of the book used to be in past years um there would be a part where everybody just kind of discussed what they thought of the book one of the um yeah and also i think you were around gail we had trouty um, talk about these terms one time for a few weeks. And that's a possibility too. I was telling someone about that today and she was really interested in, in um, Trotty doing that again. So Trotty uh, finally finished her, um, the place she's going to move into her condo. And so hopefully her life will get more settled, but she was, um, had no more energy tonight. Oh. Okay. Who's reading? Is it me again? Yeah, I think it's you again. Okay. And, <laughs> no, and are we, like me. what, uh, using words sometimes, is that uh, where we are? Yeah, but yeah it, it's my turn. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was trying to oh. <laughs> make you read. Yeah, okay. Uh, using words, someone uh, using words someone can explain maybe 70 percent of how to become buddha if you always deal with your life only in terms of logic then you have only 70 percent of buddha but to become buddha you have to be buddha 100 percent so you should know the illogical aspect of buddha's life too but no one can explain the other 30%. Beyond logical or illogical, you have to just be Buddha. Sun practice is to deal with everything as Buddha. Your mind is simple and you return to the very incipient stage of human life. At that stage, there is a great opportunity. 
you can meet the Buddha. But it depends on your attitude. That means you have to do it right now. What should you do? There is no time or space to discuss what to do. Just direct your boat toward the proper destination and go. Reasonably or unreasonably, we have to try. The more you try to direct your boat, the more you encounter big waves and storms. So deal with your boat kindly, compassionately, patiently, and with great zeal. You can do it. This is our practice. Just keep going. Finally, when you reach the bottom of your life and see the original pure energy of life, you can accept that energy and use it to benefit yourself and others. This is the Bodhisattva way of life. Oh, look, an entire new section. Oh. Peace and harmony. Great. Okay, we'll take our 10 minutes here till 817. Okay, who's going to read first? You. Okay. I am an alcoholic and a drug addict and a transvestite. I was he also a Buddha or, or simply a Zoom bomber? How patient should we be? Might we save this lost kid or might we be the lost ones as he tried to maintain? And then there's a drawing. So that's the question. Can you read it again, please? I am an alcoholic and a drug addict and a transvestite. I dot 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 
Was he also a Buddha or simply a Zoom bomber? How patient should we be? Might we save this lost kid or might he be the lost one? Or might we be the lost ones as he tried to maintain? So we don't know. This could be the turning, that could have been the turning point in his life. Or our lives. Or our, good, Emily, or our lives, more important. And he said transgender, right? Oh, and what's the <laughs> difference? Oh, there's a big difference. I guess a, tra a transvestite is someone. Us. He was getting ready to go into detail about what I that know. happened. So trans transvestite is someone who dresses up, right? Right. No, he, he um, was changing his gender. That's, yes. Okay. That's, that's what he Thank said. you for correcting me. <laughs> I'll read mine. Okay. It's a super small. I, it is about the ticket. Oh, good. Oh, good. And I just wrote, I think sometimes Zen is about to make impossible possible, at least to, to our minds. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that the, um, giving the purse with no, not enough money and then make it possible, whatever you do to become that, you know, that impossible to to the tickets. And I was also thinking about what Daniel said. And yeah, it's just about how you practice and act sometimes, I think, to become things possible. So what's possible? That, that's the question, isn't it? What's possible here? You don't, you don't have enough money in your thing and you want a ticket? But probably you could have sale, sold the purse and get more money. Oh, great. good thinking. There are many ways to do it. That would be too logical. <laughs> Maybe. This chapter brought up for me um, when he was talking about repentance, you know, that word. And uh, I was thinking about doing 12-step work when you make amends. But I think uh, the idea of repentance for me is actually the realization that that the other person and myself are really all the one. I mean, you know, it, it, it's like a, it's like projection. Do you know what I mean? So um, when I understand that what I'm accusing the other person of is in me as well as a human being, um, that's where the repentance comes in. That's where the compassion arises. You know, for me, it's. Um, um, you know, like Byron Katie does this work. If you know who she is, she does this. Um, um, she calls it the work where 
you turn things around. So if I say, um, you don't understand me, you never understand me, then you can turn that statement around and say, I don't understand you. And then she makes you find three examples where you don't understand the other person. And then you come to realize that we're all having this human experience and all these things. And that's where, um, you know, if I can forgive myself, I can forgive you. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm. You know, um, I don't know. So the word repentance is kind of loaded, but at the same time, I find it quite freeing in a way. It's sort of like admitting, you know, that, you know, we all are struggling with the same sort of, um, uh, how can you say it, illusory idea of what we are <laughs> and what the other person is. You know, so it's it's um, all my ancient twisted karma, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's not just yours; it's all of it. It's all of it. You know, well, <laughs> you know. Well, it goes to all our twisted karma, to all the twisted karma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Daniel, what did you write about logic? <laughs> no, um, the, the only thing I wrote down actually highlighted is this uh, paragraph about compassion, um, but I'm more focused on the technicality of this, and I just um, I really like the idea that in in Japanese compassion consists of those two characters, G, He, and that each of them means. Uh, like, like, I mean, the putting when put together, then they really mean, mean compassion. Um, mm. Just to remind that the G is desire to give happiness to all beings, and he is sadness. So just trying to put this together, if that really means compassion, and uh, that actually makes me want to. Do some study on Japanese uh, language because that's look that sounds very. There's a course starting up. Are you really interested? I'll send you. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm still working on my English, but I can add Japanese to my. Okay, well, word. I'll see. My wife had on our kitchen counter some, uh, um, some announcements about a class. Mm -hmm. There's, there's in Austin, the Japanese American society, and they're doing some classes. Oh. In oh. Are you interested too, Emily? Yeah, I forgot that, that, that there used to be, I used to be a part of the Japanese American society in Boston, and I forgot oh. about that. Huh. Oh, cool. I didn't know okay. that was in Austin. Okay, I'll send it to the two of you, mm -hmm. Emily. Daniel, Japanese, okay. I'll do it right after we're done. Did you wanna say something more, Emily? Um, I, was, uh, I was struck by the, um, there was a section in there about um, 
there was something about uh, acting or saying things in the wrong way can take us away from ourselves, who we are, who we really are. Um, and I remember it brought me to this moment in my past where there was, I experienced this strange moment of clarity in the middle of an argument with a friend. A friend was, um, like he said something very insulting to me. And I, instead of taking it personally, somehow out popped out of my mouth, um, don't say those things because the more you say those things, the further it takes you away from who you are. So that, um, that section in the book really kind of resonated with me. It was kind of nice to confirm that was the right instinct. And sometimes an adult will say that to a kid, that's not who you are when they do something bad. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you, in my experience, it hurts when you become really sensitive, it hurts not to be aligned with your true nature. Do you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. maybe 30 years ago, I could say something hurtful to somebody and I would think they deserved it. And maybe I'd feel sorry a few weeks later or, you know, whatever. But now, as soon as something pops out of my mouth that seems to be, you know, hurtful or an attack or a judgment on somebody, it actually, there's something in me that actually cringes right away, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It doesn't feel good. And I think that's what you were pointing to, Emily, you know? Yeah. You know, if we're honest, it really doesn't feel good. Even if you um, zing somebody with a, you know, a comeback on some way they attacked you and you get them back good, you know, for a minute, there's a part of you that feels like, okay, see, I got that one. But there's another part of you that actually doesn't feel too good about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So at the beginning of the chapter, the la the first chapter, it, it was about the tears that we might have in this practice. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly like if you haven't looked in a mirror and then all of a sudden you look in a mirror, it might be devastating because we've spent so much time having a curtain over the mirror so we don't see it. And then we find people also who maybe will reinforce our false view. Yeah. Do you know, last week I did this um, exercise because I tell my patients to do it. So I was like, I better start doing this, like just to see what it's like. I actually kept track of what I was doing every hour of my waking day. And it was um, very sobering. <laughs> I can't really kind of, it was a total like look in the mirror exercise. Um, and it was a very effective way of teaching me where I was not being so mindful in my life. So, I did that last week. Well, People were asking, well, what do I do for Appamata? So I made a list of, on a particular day and there were 28 things, but it was just, it was exhausting just to think about it. And um, yeah, I think it's a great exercise. What are you doing every hour? 
Yeah. And why are you doing it? Who are you yeah. doing it for? Stuff like that. Why do you have your patients do it? How does this connect to audiology? Uh, so a lot of like uh, tinnitus sufferers benefit from developing like a mindfulness practice. So um, mindfulness is about being in the moment. It's very similar to Buddhism. It's probably a lot of the foundation of its concepts comes from Buddhism, which is just being in the moment and forgetting about the past or the future, but being in the now. Emily, what did you discover about yourself when, I mean, you don't have to go into detail, but. Um... Yeah, I kind of discovered that I was being pulled along in my life, that I wasn't being a very active participant. Hmm. So time to be a little bit more active. Pulled along by. Uh, just allowing myself to float along. And um, that might not be the right choice in certain situations. So. Well, thank you, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>